Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This and Happy Christmas and all the holiday times for everybody. Um, We're so happy that you're here. Okay, if you are watching this on YouTube, if you're listening, you're going to have to use your imagination and then look it up another time. (laughs) But behind us, there is this really rad project that we've been working on for the last couple of weeks to get us ready for the Old Testament year. We are so excited about this. Like we, this is the thing we are the most excited (laughs) about and you can all have one for free. Yeah. So when we both taught seminary, one of the things that was really helpful throughout the whole year was we had this really big timeline that we made of the Old Testament. So everybody could kind of see where you were in the story and how each person, kind of the well-known stories, like how they relate to each other and where they're at. And it just was really, really nice and cool. Because one of the things that's kind of difficult about the Old Testament is it will go through the whole story line first, and then it kind of comes back through and fills in a lot of the gaps and repeat stories and stuff like that. So it can get super confusing Yes, because you. you get through the history at the beginning, and then what comes next is the prophets. And when the prophets start talking about things you've already heard about, then you're like, wait a minute, did we learn this already? Or did this happen twice? Or... Why are we rehabbing the lesson again? And what we want to be able to do is put up the whole storyline first. And then as we go back and start talking about kind of these more uh, prophetic or, or that literature, we want to add it in where it comes. So you'll be like, oh, okay, this actually makes a whole lot more sense because now I can see it in front of me. And it's cool because then you start seeing like, oh, the history happened. But then when you come back the second time, you're like, oh, and God was involved in the history and he was sending help and he was sending prophets and warnings throughout it. So actually understanding the timeline helps you to see the hand of God in the whole Old Testament story so much clearer also. So this is something that we're like, we, we love this. We cannot wait to have this in our houses. Um, it's a timeline that you, um, get to just print out and use throughout the whole year. Yep, you're going to do it week by week, and we're going to tell you kind of what that is going to look like. So today in the newsletter that came out with this video, there are two PDFs in there. One is to print out this whole timeline in black and white. What I did, and depending on where you live, you're going to figure out what to do, but I'm going to tell you what I did in Lehigh, Utah. I sent it to Office Depot because that's what's closest to my house. I had them print it as an engineer print. It's already sized to be able to do that. That's a two foot by three foot print. Then I took it over to Hobby Lobby because they do dry mounting, which means they took the paper that you're going to get that's just like architectural paper and they actually put it on a mount so that I can pull this out every time my family's studying it. Um, Or if you want to take it to Sunday school or wherever you're going to use it to teach, it's just a little bit more sturdy. Yeah. And then you're also going to get this PDF that has a letter that explains everything. And then it's got, these pages are colored and these are all the pieces that are going to go on the timeline. And you can just print these at home if you want. Or David is dying to print his on cardstock. Well, (laughs) the reason why is because I kind of want to put little Velcro pieces on them because I think it would be cool, like, 
halfway through the year, take off all the pieces and see if we can kind of put the story together. Yeah, so, remember the timeline. Right, so, and, and they'll just get crinkled at my house, so it'd just be nicer. And here's how you're gonna know the order to put them in. We debated this back and forth, like what was gonna be the easiest to make it the least confusing. So, do you wanna show them the little pictures? And week oh, by yeah. week, in the newsletter, we are gonna put the picture in the newsletter of the one you are using that week. So, there's all different kinds, because we wanted it to be fun. Sometimes you're just gonna get a little quote that you're gonna put up. And you'll put that on the thing for this week. And sometimes you'll get a little person. Yeah, it could be a person, and you'll just stick it in the square where it goes. And each of these go with the weeks that we're studying. Yep, so whatever's so happening. Represent the lesson. Yeah, that lesson. And Let's then talk about Eva. we also, Eva Timothy also um, did just our own paintings for this year, um, 12 of them throughout the year of the different stories that. Um, that show up, you're gonna die over those. Yeah, they're so good. So weekly in the newsletter, we'll be like, this is the one you're looking for this week so that you know exactly what it is and then you'll just put it up and you're just gonna watch this happen. So let me show you on mine. This is what the timeline, shouldn't you go look back there and see? Yeah, I can if see. If you can see it. Okay. Yeah, this is it what up this, a little more. This is what the timeline go. is gonna look like the first time. So this is the whole history. You come across the top, we get into Egypt with Joseph and then the baby Moses. We're going to go all the way across the crossing of the Red Sea, the River Jordan. Then you start coming back. We're going to meet Saul and David and Solomon. We're going to watch the kingdoms split. We're going to watch Assyria come in and the 10 tribes get scattered. And we're going to come down here for when Babylon takes over the southern kingdom. And then Persia, we're going to read about Nehemiah and Ezra and... Esther, and then we're done with the story of the New Testament. So then what's going to happen? And by is, new, she means old. Oh, and old. Then, Why do I keep saying that? Then you'll come back around and every, and then you just, you're going to fill in. Am I about to spike you with Maybe. that? Um, you're going to fill in. Uh, like the Psalms. Yeah, the Psalms and the Proverbs. And, and when they were written, all of the prophets in which kingdom they prophesied to and where they went. And then some of the prophets that come during the time they're taken away, like Daniel. And, and when Lehi leaves and when the Book of Mormon starts, you're going to be able to follow all of that. So everything. This is what it looks like at the very end yeah, of the year, all, all filled out. So, and you'll just watch it piece so by fun. piece, go through the piece. Okay, so that is completely free. All of that is just going to be free. You want to go on the newsletter. That's where you're going to find it. You'll see both the PDFs there. It comes with an instructions on the front so you just know exactly what to do. If you're not signed up for the newsletter, go to don'tmissthisstudy.com, sign up, and then you the next newsletter that comes, leather, <laughs> it is in leather. Um, the next newsletter that comes, um, it will include those in it. Okay, and then quickly, let us just tell you this because a lot of you are saying exactly what do we need and do we have anything else we're recommending for this year. So. We're going to be doing the journals again, just the way we always have done the journals. We're going to do the um, devotional book and the stickers and then the Word of Week posters um, that are going to have the Hebrew in here that we're so excited about. The other thing that is new that we just told you about in last week's newsletter are these things called tip-ins that are going to have um, little hints to glue permanently in your scriptures. They're on really thin paper. And if you just want to remember the Old Testament forever, these little hints, there's, I think, 30 of them or 28. They're just going to go through and just tell you all the little things that you want to remember. So if you ever look back into your Old Testament, you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. This is 
this lesson. This is what we learned that year. So you've got it right at your fingertips in your very own scriptures. What's going on there. We're going to actually do a video that is going to explain every single product and how to use it because we thought that might be helpful for you and it will be on YouTube. We will link to it in this newsletter also. So if you are someone who's visual like we are and you just wish you had like tangible things that help you learn better, we will give you the description of how to use all those things on a separate video because we are dying to jump into. Yeah. We've been one. so looking forward to this lesson. So and looking forward to showing lesson. you this. We couldn't wait. Now it's ready. It's ready. Okay. The Old Testament I have just your got book, so actually. Oh. And you have mine. Okay. Thank okay. You. So the, this lesson is the Articles of Faith and then Official Declarations 1 and 2. Um, we're not doing too much with the Articles of Faith. Maybe we'll mention like <laughs> one of the 13. Um, and that's an awesome study to do. We want to talk about the official declarations. The first one that um, ends plural marriage officially. And the second one, which lifts the ban on priesthood. And just kind of talk about um, the one lesson we really want to focus on on this is just the work of revelation. Just just principles of how the Lord is at work among us. You'll find that line um, in the declarations and, and how he is guiding and directing and kind of the way we connect with heaven and, and receive those answers and directions. Both independently, but also as a church, because I think as we teach a lot of young people, one of the questions that we get asked all the time is how does revelation work exactly? And how does it work through a prophet? And if a prophet really speaks to God, why doesn't revelation come like a fax machine where he just is like, okay, here's exactly what you need to do. And it's like a checklist that I think sometimes we forget prophets actually have to wrestle with the Lord, just like yeah. Jacob in the old Testament, they actually wrestle and it can be for years that they are trying to listen and understand what the will of the Lord is for his people at this time. And there's going to be a couple patterns we want to point out today that are going to teach in detail kind of how revelation works, especially on really hard topics. Now, some really smart people have been through just kind of the details of how these pr policies came about and how they ended and everything surrounding them. And, and those you can find in the gospel topic essays. So just on your, on your app, just go to church history section and gospel topic essays, and you can see all the ones on plural marriage. And then you can see the one on race and the priesthood. And those details we're going to leave for you to just read and study. If you're interested in knowing more of like the particulars and the timeline of, of, of those, um, for sure you want to go to those, but we're just going to focus on those principles of revelation in this video. Oh, because they are so good. And sometimes we get so caught up in the details of plural marriage and blacks in the priesthood that we actually miss the revelatory part, which is one of the most profound lessons in these two places. So we want to help you watch how revelation works, particularly with the big, um, themes or the big topics or, or the, 
Maybe sometimes you might call it the controversies of our time, what that looks like as you go through that process. Well, and it's interesting that maybe every time revelation is needed, it's because of a controversy mm. because like, or, or a question or, a, or inconsistency or a problem. And it's the reason that somebody even needs to approach the Lord and, and understand his perspective and wisdom and, and vision on things people can't handle themselves. So I, I think they will always be coupled, yeah, you know, that's so with good. each other. Um, the, I love when you talk about, let's just start at the beginning before you get in there, this idea of doctrinal boundaries and the law of the Lord. Yeah. I just think it's interesting that when we talk about, um, almost like the, the, the Lord sort of gives the prophets the keys and authority to run the kingdom on the earth. And there could be several different ways to do that, right? There's just a, lots of different varieties mm -hmm. and the world changes. And, and so policies change and the styles change and, and we learn things along the way and, and everything, but they all happen. And God allows for that. Yeah. And I love knowing that. That's why we belong to a living church is because God allows for growth and increase in progression. Right. Yeah. But one thing that I think is really important as you see that is they, the prophets are always acting within these boundaries that are the laws of the Lord, right? Almost like what you could call these doctrinal boundaries. And within this boundary space, a lot of things can change and adjust and, and move, but they don't ever make changes that would go beyond the law of the Lord or outside of those doctrinal boundaries. And, and so I just think that's a, a really important principle to understand that he allows that leeway. He allows for mistakes. He allows for like, oh, I wouldn't have chosen that particular idea, but that's a good one if you want to pursue that or step-by-step -step processes. You know? And he's not afraid too when something happens, a policy or something happens that he's like, uh... That's not quite right. So let's rework that again until you get it right. And sometimes four years, will, it'll take four years to help rework something that's going on. And, and what we love is we don't always get to see the working out of Revelation through a prophet. But in these two declarations, we get a really good insight about what that might look like. So what happened is... Plural marriage is introduced through Joseph Smith. Um, also interesting to keep in mind as we're thinking about these things, that as Joseph Smith was restoring the gospel in its fullness at the very beginning, we're, we hear things about blacks in the priesthood and about plural marriage. And for me, that's really important to remember that these were topics that began at the very beginning that Joseph was trying to figure out and the Lord was working with Joseph on. And I think that's important for us to remember. Um, and, and they're trying to create this concept that is ancient and bring it to a modern time, this idea of the house of Israel, that they're trying to like, what does that look like right now? Does it look exactly like it did in, you know, in biblical times? And, and you know, but our world is a little bit different. And anyways, it's yeah. just... It's happening. It's not happening in a vacuum. It's happening right. in the nitty gritty of life. And, you know? and people are living it socially and culturally and all of these things. And, and that's one of the things you want to keep in mind as we enter into these, because you're going to hear both Wilford Woodruff and then also as we get into Spencer W. Kimball, you are going to hear that wrestle between society and religion 
within this wrestle with the Lord. And I think it's important to keep that in mind. So we'll, let's start with the first one. Okay. You can find these at the end of all the sections of the Doctrine and Covenants. Official Declaration 1 is the, is the doctrinal, the declaration. <laughs> That's why it's called the declaration <laughs> that officially ends um, the practice of plural marriage in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And now what you need to understand is when you read the heading of this, this is that's something that happens over decades. Um, plural marriage introduced in the 1840s. By the time you get into the 1860s, for like 20 years, the United States is battling with the legality of plural marriage, kind of with the church. And so this is just going on and on and on. And finally, it gets to the point where it goes all the way up to the Supreme Court. See how fast I'm going? You have to read the essay if you want more details. Um, it finally gets up to the Supreme Court and they, and they make plural marriage illegal. And under the penalty of prison time, but also a confiscation of any church, church property, property that's over $50,000, which would include a- any and all of temple operations that were happening. And, and shutting down the, the whole organization of the church. Yeah. So this is something that they had been asking about and they kind of felt throughout this 20 years. No, it's, I think it's something we're still supposed to practice, even though some are going into jail and some are going into hiding. And eventually it comes to the, to that head where it's like, listen, the church and temples and prophets either shut down or you keep living the practice. Like that's what it, that's really where the decision-making came to. It's like crucible is, is in that spot right there. And Wilford Woodruff explains as he talks about this to everybody, um, that idea. We love that he asked this question. Well, and before you get there, let's just talk about your, when you get an official declaration one, you are going to see the declaration to whom it may concern. It's going to be signed by Wilford Woodruff and this is what, what went to the government, what went to all the people. This is the explanation. But you love that in this one, underneath it, there's excerpts from three addresses by President Wilford Woodruff regarding the manifesto. And it's in this second part under the official declaration one that we learn so much about this revelatory process. And that's kind of what we want to lean into. Yeah. So he has this question you can see at the top of your journal. The Lord has told me to ask the Latter-day Saints, you know, a question. And essentially it is, what would you do if you were in charge? You know, if you had to be the one to make the call, what is the right move in a situation like this? And And he's going to lay out two things for your consideration, which I love that he's like, let's just think about these two things. Yeah. This is in, let's see, one, two, three, four, five questions down. Paragraph. Paragraph. Sorry. And it starts, the question's this, which is the wisest course for the Latter-day Saints to pursue? And he, and, and option one is to keep practicing it and lose, you know, um, uh, uh the the temples and the ordinances there and the and put the first presidency and the twelve in prison and their families by themselves and the personal property done and and and, and, and the, the Lord, organization of the church come to a standstill and 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 uh, and if that's the case and if that's what the Lord wants then we would do it that's exactly what we would do at all costs is what we, what would happen but he said but the Lord showed me in vision and revelation exactly what would take place if we did not stop this practice. And then halfway through that sixth paragraph, he says, you know, um, I want, or toward the end of it, excuse me. Mm -hmm. He says, I'm laying this before the Latter-day Saints. You have to judge for yourselves. I want you to answer it for yourselves. 
I shall not answer it, but I say unto you, this is exactly the condition we as a people would have been in if we hadn't taken this course. And I really love that, making that really personal because it was personal to Wilford Woodruff, you know, to mm-hmm. just think through this for yourself and, yeah. con- and, and wonder it and move through and, it. Yeah. And I love that part too, because I love that he has wrestled with it. The whole quorum has wrestled with it, but I love that he invites the church to be part of finding the answer for yourself. Like you take it to the Lord. And I love the confidence that he has that the Lord would not give you an an answer that was different than the answer that he gave me mm. for the church to follow. And he kind of mentions that at the beginning. The Lord will never permit me or any other man who stands at president of this church to lead you astray. It's not in the program. It is not the mind of God. If I were to do something like that, I would be removed, Right, he says. And I love that reminder that he's like, he feels the weight of doing it right. That, right? He Before the weight of the church and, and what the people and the culture and society wants, first and foremost, he feels the weight of God. And he will not let me do something contrary to his will. And that's where he begins, which I love that. But then I love that he's like, I have wrestled with this. I have seen in vision and received revelation, both like it is clear to me. This is the mind of the Lord on this matter. Now, I'm going to ask you um, and I want you to answer for yourselves. And I love that invitation that he's just confident the Lord's going to give them the same answer that he's given him. Yeah. So um, you'll see these four little fill in the blanks in the journal um, as we go through and they each kind of illustrate a principle that Wilford Woodruff was living through this. Um, number one, it says a long time, decades, they've been asking the question and wondering and keep coming back to the question. Is this right? Is this what we're supposed to do? That second fill in the blank is when the hour came. Which remember that one. It is so important. It's such an important principle because all of a sudden the answer came. Right. When the hour was right, when the timing was right, when when everything was right, when that hour came, he was like, it was clear. That's right. what we're supposed and to do. And that's the third one. It was all clear to me, which, which seems to signify or teach that it was fuzzy before, right? Mm-hmm. So it was fuzzy, but then all of a sudden there came a moment when it was like, it's actually clear. I, I know what I'm supposed to do. Um, and I wrote what the Lord told me. Which again, another really important lesson, this thought about writing revelation down, which reminds me of President Nelson, right. which I love his yellow legal pads by his desk. There is a principle that he's teaching us about writing down those promptings that come from the Lord. And we loved this at the, at the bottom when he says, I leave this with you for you to contemplate and consider. And right at the top of this, there's just two lines that say blank and blank. That contemplating and considering are a part of revelation. Yeah. That, that is part of the process is that contemplating and considering and, and to realize that it might take time and that it might need to happen at a certain Hour. Hour. Right. And the Lord knows what the hour is and that it will become clear to us. I love that part. And and the fact that it's fuzzy for a little bit, that line that we have right there that he says, the Lord is at work with us. Um, he is in this. Like, and it's a, it's a work. It's a process. It's like, it's, it's, 
It's not like a single event that's happening, but just because the answers aren't there right now doesn't mean that the Lord is not at work with mm. us in preparing us, guiding us, um, leading us, and opening our minds and hearts for eventually for that answer to come. But He is at work among with us. us, among us. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. So we want to pause for just a minute and see, do we see other examples of these principles that we have heard taught from apostles or um, prophets as they've gone through and explained to us. And one of my favorite is, um, comes from elder Scott. Um, this is a talk he gave two separate times in two different conferences, this process of receiving revelation. And as I listened to those two conference talks together, I realized he had a pattern that he had practiced in his life of how revelation worked. Um, I'm pulling from a talk in May of 2012, um, and then, or April really 2012, and then November 2009. And we will link to those in uh, the newsletter. But this was his process that he went through. He said, first, begin by defining your difficult matter, which I love that that's exactly what happened here. We watched that happen there. There tends to be a difficult matter, a need or a want or something that you take to the Lord. Second, he said, read passage after passage of scripture, right? Go into scripture and just see where have you seen this before or that topic or that need, where do you see it spelled out in scripture before and what revelation comes as you read the scriptures? Ponder. Yeah, and it's neat that it's like passage after passage because like I want you to sit in it a while. Like I, I don't want you to go and try and like you're not searching for online for an answer. Yeah. It's just like I want you to sit in the revelations of, of the Lord is what I want you to do. And we know Joseph did that as plural marriage was starting, which helps us to assume that that was a continued practice. And we're going to notice the same in a minute that there's something about going back to trying to understand what's coming from those verses. Then fourth, he said, pray for inspiration. So first, define your difficult matter. Second, read passage after passage of scripture. Third, ponder what those verses are telling you. Fourth, pray for inspiration. Five, he says, now pause and pray to know if you've captured all that the Lord wants you to do. And then six, seek for more you could study on this topic. Are there other doctrines you could turn to? Could you turn to general conference talks? Could you turn to other places in scripture or stories that have happened? And then I love, and you'll remember this from Elder Scott, when he would ask at the very end, is there more? And with Elder Scott, we see that writing process, right? We see that happening where he write it down and those passages of scripture and the promptings that come and the inspiration and then ask, is there more? And I love that we see this pattern of writing what the Lord has told him. Um, one thing I love is this from President Irene, who back in April 1997, and we'll link this, uh, made this statement. Sometimes we'll receive counsel that we can't understand or seems not to apply to us, even after careful prayer and thought. So somewhere in the middle of that. But he says, don't discard that counsel. Behold it close. If someone you trusted handed you what appeared to be nothing more than sand with the promise that it contained gold, you might wisely hold it in your hand a while, shaking it gently. Every time I have done that with the counsel from a prophet, after a time, the gold flakes have begun to appear and I have been grateful. 
And I, I'd love that idea of each of those things that you read seem to be like a, an, an example of what it looks like to just shake it gently, to hold it close. Don't throw it away quite yet, but give it a minute. Wilford gave it 20 years, mm-hmm. so that might be longer than a minute, right? Just to kind of, let's just see what happens as we think through this and read about this and pray about this and yeah. contemplate and, this. Yeah, those words, that contemplate um, and consider comes in to be so important. And I love that he says um, at the end of this, he says, the Almighty God decreed that the devil should not thwart it. And I love the thought of that, that the devil will not get in the way of God's will for his church and for his people. And so to kind of remember that. So with that in mind, with what we've learned about Revelation and these four things that we've talked about and, and kind of thinking about Elder Iring and Elder Scott, we're going to take a pause for a minute and take you on a mini field trip back to Kirtland. Uh, we had the opportunity to sit on the porch with one of our favorite people, President Johnson, who you will remember from the Spirit of God um, song, he and his family. And Izzy sang in Doctrine and Covenants 25, um, he was serving as the stake president at the time we were back there. And we sat down on the porch with him because we felt like it was really important for you to hear from a person of color on this next subject that we're going to talk about, this official declaration number two. And we would love to start with his thoughts and what he might be able to teach us as we sit down with family members or with seminary kids or with your um, kids in Sunday school that are going to ask hard questions. And he gives us some really clear and important answers for how to talk about this topic. So we're going to pause for just a minute. We're going to let you listen to him, and then we will come back and do official declaration number two. To the porch. Hi, everybody. I don't know if you remember, and if you don't, go back and look at it. We, uh, we did a little interview with the Johnson family when we were in Kirtland. You saw them in some of our music videos uh, when we were there, and we got to meet them, and you saw Izzy in uh, Section 25, and they've been with us when we've been in Kirtland um, this whole time. And so um, here we are at the end of the year uh, with President Johnson again, stake president here in, in the Kirtland stake. And uh, we thought it would be so great to talk about that official declaration too a little bit um, with him to get his uh, very unique and refined opinion on on how do, how do we teach that? How do we talk about it? How do we like? Um, how do we handle some of the conflict with it? And and anyways. the conversations. Um, it seems like that's something that um, a lot of people ask: is what's the right way to approach that? And how would you teach it well? What would we need? Mm-hmm. Um, to know, and what have you learned in your conversations that you're having? It would be helpful for parents teaching their children, but also as we have conversations with people who are struggling with that, yeah. what advice would you give us? Sure. So there, there are a lot of things that make, make that difficult. And I'm a convert to the church. I joined the church as a young adult. And uh, I remember hearing hearing people tell me about how bad the church was because of its history. And by that time, I had already known what I had felt and what I had experienced, and so I knew it was true. And so I had to come to this um, way to reconcile what I knew was true with something that just was hard. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of principles of the gospel that are hard for a lot of different reasons. 
And there are a lot of things in our history that are difficult for a lot of different reasons. But there are principles there that, that you can still teach. And one of the primary ones is about how revelation works. Mm. Right? That the Lord is not going to reveal things to us that we're not ready for. Um, and he's not often going to reveal things when we're not asking the right questions. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Really good. And for me, you know, when I ask, you know, were there mistakes made by previous leaders? Um, certainly, you know, would it have been better if, if they had asked those questions years earlier? Absolutely. Um, but it gives, it actually gives me a lot of hope because if, if, the leaders of the church in the past had made mistakes and still did so much good, then I might be able to have the Lord do some good through me when I know I'm so flawed and, and so slow to hear the Lord's voice sometimes. Mm. And are there things that I've missed that the Lord wanted me to do? Probably. But it gives me hope that the Lord can still do some good, even if it's a little bit later than maybe it should have been. Um, and as I, you know, work with members and teach these principles and teach it to my, my children as well, I think we focus on the basis, focus on the plan of salvation, focus on the message of the gospel, because if all of that is true, then the rest finds its proper place. But if you start from, the, from all of the conflict and all of the hard things, and then try to find your way to the truth, it's going to be a lot more difficult. But start with what's true and what you know, and then mm. take a few steps in faith. Mm. That's so good and so true. Um, I just wanted to turn to that declaration really quick um, because I love what you're teaching there about revelation and um, that it's sometimes it does take time and sometimes maybe we're not asking the right questions at the beginning, which is so interesting to think about. But I love when it tells us in here, it came after extended meditation and prayer mm -hmm. in the sacred rooms of the Holy Temple and just that thought about um, that extended time that we have to put in for those to be able, for those answers to be able to come. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that's happened for you as a state president. Yeah, there, there are plenty of decisions that require, require not just a, a quick, well, let's just pray about this and we'll get the answer and move on. It, it takes some study and some counsel and um, especially in uh, the way the brethren work, they counsel together sometimes for years over major decisions. And it's not, it's not like all of a sudden in 1978, the Lord flipped a switch and this was suddenly a thing. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that this was a conversation that was happening for years to be able to be ready and, and the Lord finally provided an answer. And uh, just in my own life, I've had experiences of having hard questions and having to wrestle with them for some time. And, um, and that process, I think, is important. Mm. That can teach us as well as uh, about how the Spirit speaks to us, how the Lord works in our lives. And uh, going through that hard process of finding answers, I think, is part of what the Lord wants us to learn. That's how we so grow. good. Yeah, because it seems like like the struggle or the you know the the wrestle um, can actually lead to healing a, a, a more closeness with with God. I mean, that's what I'm getting from you yeah. and thinking like. Like, I don't think we ought to run away from the fact that it's a struggle because the struggle, you know, yeah. was it's, the struggle led you to. And I love mm -hmm. that you're saying that because I think in our family, I have a daughter-in-law who is black. And this is a conversation that we have on an ongoing basis. Mm -hmm. um, both her and I, just as we try and, 
and work ourselves through that, but also for people she knows and loves who have left over this yeah. issue. And I would be so interested from your perspective, when you meet with someone who maybe is struggling with this issue, what would you say to someone in that situation? Yes. So, I mean, it, and it does vary. And uh, in those situations, that's when I'm most desperate for the Lord's help yes. right, to follow the spirit. Um, but usually where I, where I start is having them focus on the things that they know. You know, what, what do you know to be true about the gospel and how do you feel about Jesus Christ? And if you start from there, then he, he has the ability to heal all of those other things and to provide understanding. And if our faith is focused in him, that we're going to be better off because ultimately we don't have faith in the leaders of the church or in the church itself. We love them, we trust them, but our faith is in Heavenly Father and in Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's where we need to start. And all of the other things, even if we don't have answers now, and even if those answers don't come in this life, we can still choose to follow Jesus Christ, even if we don't have all the answers. Oh, and that's and so good. that really is the definition of faith. And I'm not having the answers and still walking forward. And I think that's powerful that it's not, I'm not ignoring um, any of those questions or struggles. It's a question of where's my focus? It doesn't mean that I'm like, oh, never mind. It's like, yeah. oh, in this lens, from, you know, through this, through my faith in Christ, I will address, you know, these other issues. Yeah, we don't, so we don't say that they're not issues. Right. We, we address them and, and we confront them as difficult things, but we, we still focus on what's most important, mm. and that's on the Savior. Oh, that's so good. Um, just a couple really good truths here, and we'll pull those out for you um, because it, it's so centering as we now lean into this official declaration too and, and start talking about what does that look like and how do we teach that well to our kids and to our families. Yeah, y'all, um, this we're getting kind of close to the end of the year, and we have just seen stories of people of strong faith in God and courage. And it is so thrilling to know that there are still people of that kind of caliber of, of faith and with those golden hearts still living um, in these places. So thank you for opening up your heart and your family and your experiences with us, like with us on the trip yep. and with everybody, you know, who's yes. watching. So, so, so kind much. of you. We've loved um, being with you. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> We've loved having you here. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, wasn't that so awesome? Uh, it just is like in situations like this, like official declaration one, we don't find many people around. Well, nobody who lived and experienced that and went through it. But you do have people today who experienced this one. And it's neat to see it both from the perspective of the prophets, but also the perspective mm -hmm. of other people receiving revelation and moving through their own struggles and applying the same exact principles and it working, yep. you know? And we left you a little space at the bottom of your journal where you can just maybe capture some of those things President Johnson taught us. One of our favorite parts was when he just kept telling us, you go back to your testimony of Jesus Christ. You yeah. go back to your testimony. Um, a lot of times when I have talked to people who have considered leaving the church over blacks in the priesthood, I will say to them, because we live here in Utah, and I love to say to them, you know what? Drive up to the cemetery in Salt Lake and sit at the grave of Jane James, who lived through this entire process when it was happening. 
right? She knew Joseph Smith. She knew Brigham Young. She was there when all of it was going on. And she didn't leave the church. And she was experiencing it. She didn't leave. And I just love to think about this. What did she know that we don't understand? Because she didn't leave the church. She stayed true to the church and she knew something that maybe we don't understand today. And if she didn't leave, why would we leave? And I think one of the things she knew was who Jesus Christ was. And that became her beacon in a situation that was maybe hard to understand. So that's something to just consider as we go through this part. But we yeah, love the lessons. This, do we want to bring that up right now? Too, no, just let's, to do this. let's end here. Say that. Okay, yeah. we'll have one more example of that. Um, official Declaration 2, there, again, there's a church essay on this to go find out as much as we know. But one thing you'll see in the heading, if you have the updated scriptures on your app or printed ones, in the heading is this box, where did that ban come from? Um, it just says in this one, church leaders, um, oh, sorry, let me back up. Um, well, where is that line? <laughs> there, <laughs> oh, there it is, church records. Okay, church records, because um, people from African descent, where, where con- the priesthood was conferred upon them during Joseph's time, and then all of a sudden there was a ban. And if you ask the question where to come from, it says church records offer no clear insights into the origins of this practice. And, and there's a lot of guesses as to what happened and where it happened. And, and we just can't really go there. And that's important, particularly if you are teaching youth. It is important to start there. We actually don't know why that happened. We don't know. There's no record of why it happened. People will suppose why it happened. But I love that the church is like, you know what? Let's not. Let's not try and figure out what went wrong or what happened or what what the um, promptings that were coming at that time. Let's not even dive into that. What we what we need to know and what we need to teach is we actually don't know why that happened. But what you can jump off of is this next line. Church leaders believed a revelation from God was needed to alter the practice and they prayerfully sought for guidance. So what you have at hand is a problem, a situation. There's like, this doesn't make make sense from what we can see in scripture. It just doesn't make any sense. What should we do about it? And now they enter into that same process that Wilford Woodruff did. And the president of the church at the time was President Kimball. And again, there is an announcement here that was kind of a a letter that was read. um, And then like a, a response to that that comes after and you want to read both of those because we're, pr- we're pulling these principles from those places but something similar to official declaration one that you see is um you see in his that first letter he says this came after extended meditation and after pr- pleading long and earnestly in behalf of of these our faithful brethren spending many hours in the upper room of the temple supplicating the lord for divine guidance like this wasn't just a prayer before bed or before dinner. Mm-hmm. It was long hours, many days, counseling and together. I love when Camilla Kimball talks about watching President Kimball wrestle with the Lord and how it actually he became so thin and so troubled over the matter that it really was a wrestle that actually left a physical mark on him as he was trying to figure the figure this out and I love that thought of him just being so passionate about 
I have to get this right. It's the same as Wilfred Woodruff. He felt the weight of doing the will of the mm-hmm. Lord and, and what needed to happen there. And Well, and it just makes me think of that line from President Ivory when he says, if someone you trusted handed you something and said there was gold in it. And I think Wilfred Woodruff and President Kimball both just um, love and the battery wanted to. We're still going. <laughs> that um, th- both those um, two men loved the Lord so dearly, and they cared what His opinion was, and they cared what His direction was, and they knew that it would be good and right. And so that's why they invested so much in mm. it. It's because they're like, wait, I want to get this right because I love Him, and yeah. I love my the people, the people of the church, and I and and I just. And that's a really important lesson that happens in here. And and this is one thing I love to spend time on with my seminary class is why, if it was right at one time, then it was wrong. How did it become right again? What was the process? And there are four really important things that President Kimball says, here is what led me to wrestle with the Lord. And I love these four things and what we learned from them. First of all, he said, We are um, noticing these people who have joined the church in ever-increasing numbers. And this inspired us with a desire to go to the Lord and say, okay, it feels like this is not right. So help us to figure that out. Second, and this one's really important, aware of the promises made by the prophets and presidents of the church who had preceded us that at some time in God's eternal plan, all of these brethren would be able to receive the priesthood who were worthy. So the second thing that is important is it had been prophesied that in a future time, the blacks would be able to hold the priesthood. It had been prophesied. President Kimball knew it had been prophesied. So he could look back at prophets who had said, there will be a time when all worthy male members of the church will hold the priesthood. That's really important because it wasn't just because culture was going to change or society was going to change. President Kimball was motivated by prophecy that had been given. So that number two becomes really, really crucial to our understanding. Three, I love this one, that they beheld the faithful pleading of those people that that Mm -hmm. they had, and they had pled and, um, and been faithful. And even with the blessings withheld, they had remained faithful. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, because there is just a beautiful principle there about remaining faithful, even in a place where, where the circumstances might suggest you wouldn't. There's something powerful about that. And then the fourth thing is they spent many hours in the upper room of the temple, supplicating the Lord for divine guidance. So it was those four things combined that President Kimball felt like led to the answer of their prayer. Um, so if you're writing them in your journal, um, just there, there was something that inspired them that they saw that made that desperate need become real for them. There's something that we're witnessing that makes us want to ask the Lord for something more. Second, what they were asking for had actually been prophesied about, that it would be resolved at some point in time. So he knew already the Lord planned on that, but but was it now is what he was wondering. Third, the faithfulness of the people where the blessings had been withheld. And fourth, um, that 
supplicating for many hours, right? Over and over again to find the answer. And that's when the answer came. And we love this one line we wrote about in the journal. The Lord has now made known his will. And again, it's that thing that was so interesting um, in Wilford Woodruff, when the hour came, mm-hmm. right? There's something about the Lord's timing that is so hard for us to understand. Yeah, It's like there's a doctrine of waiting yeah. for some reason. And, 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 but also a promise of uh, an answer, right? Right, where he says, the Lord has now made his will known. I love the idea of anybody in a waiting place right now, you can know there's purpose in waiting. You're not the only one who has waited. Consider what's happening to your relationship with God as you're waiting. And then also know that someday that will of the Lord is going to be made known. Like Mm. it's eventually going to come. You don't have to wait forever. And I think it's important that there is scriptural precedence for both of these things. Um, Both the um, learning about plural marriage, we can go back into the Old Testament and we watch the Lord teaching people. Here's where you got it right. And here's actually where you are getting it wrong, right? There's plenty of places where the Lord's like, no, this is not right. This is not my law. You are not operating within the bounds of my law right Right, now. And a great example of this um, blacks in the priesthood would be um, Peter receiving that dream in Acts about taking the gospel now to the Gentiles. Why was it withheld from the Gentiles? Like we can sit back and say, why did they do that? Why why didn't they let the Gentiles have it? And what was wrong with letting them have it at the beginning? And, And why was it all of a sudden Right then, right. in yeah. in that moment, you know, and and they looked back on promises also, like he, yeah. Jesus's last words, "Go ye into all the world," you yeah. know, and it's like it was the intention and it was his purpose and plan all along. Why we can guess, yeah, but, but why did instead they have to we're just yeah. like looking at that spot where Peter found himself and where Wilford found himself and Wilford, like he's my best friend, <laughs> and Spency found himself, you yeah. know, and just like what. What do we do about this? How do we move forward and wrestling for the answer? And if we had time, we would actually take you into Acts 10 and let you watch Peter go through that wrestle and the church go through the wrestle after, Yeah. right? The revelation came Right. and you're going to see these same patterns. Like it really is fascinating to watch Peter going through the same process Wilford Woodruff did and the same process President Kimball did. You're going to watch it repeat. And there is something important to learn about those lessons. So if this is something you struggle with, it'd be worth getting in and comparing those three prophets and the process they went through to receive that. But we want to end with one of our favorite um, stories. And it's the account of a man who lived through this process. And as we're talking about the story, you might want to write in your journal, what are the lessons you learned from the Martine family? Um, as we go through this, because sometimes we might have um, things in the church that we wrestle with. There may be things that seem unfair or not quite right, or we just, we can't figure out how it works. There are many who have shed tears over these issues and other similar issues that are trying to figure out how do we reconcile this with the God that we know and believe in and, and what do we learn from this? And, and stay inside the bounds of the laws of the Lord that we understand and 
what 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 do we have that we can do and change and move yeah. you know and yeah and it's hard to to make this just seem really simple and logical on paper and this is the year this happened and when this happened without bringing in the emotion and the heartache and the pain and like what does living faithfully in a time like that actually look like and require of us and we love this story i'm pulling this from a seminary manual that we taught out of many years ago when we were teaching the Doctrine and Covenants, and we will link to it for you just so you can um, maybe use this as you are teaching. It's the story of um, Brother Martins and his family. And they um, were had the missionaries come and start telling them about the church. And it's neat because as they were seeking truth, he and his wife investigated many religions, but none seemed to be right. And so he prayed to the Lord for help and, and was like, send me to the right church. And a few days later, missionaries came to their home in Brazil. And he says, the moment those two young men stepped into our apartment, all of my gloom and spiritual discomfort immediately disappeared and was replaced by a calm and serenity, which I now know came from the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so they conversed with the missionaries and then, um, Brother Martins asked about the role of black people in the church, which is so interesting to me because he had, they had investigated so many churches. He had prayed, the Lord sends missionaries several days later, right? That weight is lifted. He's like, okay, this is it. This is going to be my church. It feels like my church. And then this conversation is going to come up. And they find out that at that time, church policy restricted black males of African descent from being ordained to the priesthood. So then they start asking missionaries further questions that I can just imagine in my mind him being like, wait, is this right? Because this is what I see in scripture, even the book of Mormon. Well, and I prayed for our church, for my church, for my family. And now I I was led to these missionaries who are bringing a church that I I can't actually fully participate Hmm. in. And there must have been a wrestle that happened there. And so... They decide to get baptized on July 2nd, 1972. They go through that whole wrestle. They decide they're going to be baptized. They serve faithfully in the church. When their oldest son, Marcus, I love this part, received his patriarchal blessing. He was my um, religion teacher at BYU, Hawaii. Oh, we wish he was telling the story right now. When he received his patriarchal blessing, it promised he would preach the gospel. But the priesthood restriction at that time prevented Marcus from serving a full-time mission. And then... Here's one of my favorite parts that you want to write down. On that day, his parents opened a missionary savings account for this boy who, from their understanding, would never serve a mission. And in my mind, I'm like, that is what faithfulness looks like. Mm. That they're like, okay, let's just start an account for you. right? And they put their money in every whatever. Just and, that kind of like uh, somehow, some way kind of faith. Yes. You know, they're just like, I, I don't know how, but somehow, some way, yeah. God's going to be good to his word. And we're going to trust the promises, right? Yeah. We've been given this promise. And the next thing that happened is in 1975, the church announced a temple would be built in Brazil. And to help with the fundraising, Sister Martins sells her jewelry. And again, I just think about... Um, selling something that was that sentimental and precious and important to pay for a building that you would never enter, 
in that you would never have the privilege of receiving the blessings for. Like, how does that happen? Hmm. You know? And I love Elder Martin's response. He says this, when people ask, why did you do that? Like, why did you start the savings account? And why did you sell the jewelry? Right? Why? And he said, we had found the truth and nothing would stop us from living it. When the spirit tells you the gospel is true, how can you deny it? And I go back to what brother Johnson taught us that thought about like, what is your center? What is your core? And for them, it was, we know the spirit testified to us. This is what we were supposed to do. And so even though the other stuff maybe doesn't make sense, we're going to hold fast to what does make sense. And it was that answer that we received at that time um, to stay there, um, to stay in the church and to act in the church. Um, I love when they talk about in 1978 when the ban was lifted. Mm. And this is his words that he says, I could not contain my emotions. My wife and I went into our bedroom, knelt down and prayed. I just love that that's their first response in that moment, right? Is that first response is to go and kneel down and pray. We wept as we thanked our father in heaven for an event we had only dreamed about. The day had actually arrived and in our mortal lives. And so they were sealed in the temple. And then this is awesome. That boy, Marcus was the first missionary to serve for the church. Um, and you just love the thought that his mission account had already been started. Yeah. <laughs> he just was like, Re- I'm ready now. Yeah, right. You know, I'm ready to go. And there's something important as you talk about and teach this lesson. There's something so important about that principle of faithfulness. And, and faithfulness that's forged in times of waiting mm-hmm. and in times of difficulty. And like, I mean, I, they, they came out of that situation more acquainted with God Mm. because, you know, they had stayed close to him throughout every, you know, part of that. And, oh, that is such a, it's one of the reasons you talked about Jane James that we named our little daughter Jane, Mm. because I was like, I I want you to stay true to God, no, no matter what your life story looks like or what questions you have or difficulties arise or, or, or struggles. Like, I want you to stay faithful and true to to him your whole life and i love that this is kind of where we start wrapping things up with the doctrine and covenants is is with these we'll get into the family proclamation and the living christ but it is with these lessons of faithfulness and of wrestling and of staying in even though it doesn't all make sense that becomes um, really just a mark of who we are yeah. as a church and what we believe in. Um, we are going to be preparing now for our Christmas lesson, which is about to come. And we want to introduce you a little bit to that because you're going to actually start that Christmas lesson this week, the preparation for the Christmas lesson. So in your journal, you are going to see a page that looks like this. And if you don't have a journal, just go ahead and mark yourself 24 squares right here, or 25, it's 25 squares. Um, We love to do an advent. It's one of our very most favorite things in the world to do. And clear back a year ago when we were um, talking about what we wanted to do, 
and we knew we would be studying the living Christ, we thought we just want to do a countdown. So one of the things that you're going to want to do this week as you are preparing for that is to make yourself an advent of some sort. If you want it to be a piece of paper or uh, if you want it to be one of those, you know, those old fashioned Coke bottle um, holders, or if you want to put envelopes going up your stairs or however you want to do an advent, we are going to study the living Christ for 25 days as we prepare for this Christmas lesson. And how we want to do it is by studying the names of Christ that are listed within that document. So you're going to be able to just go through in order and it's going to start out and teach you about the living Christ. And then it's going to talk about the Jehovah of the Old Testament and the Messiah of the new. And you're going to start seeing these names just line up. There's going to be 25 names in there. We've listed them all out for you on a PDF that is also in the newsletter from November 29th. That's the newsletter you want to go to. The PDF is going to have the names in order of the living Christ with a scripture underneath every one. So every night you can study one name, one line in the living Christ, one verse of scripture. It should just take you like five minutes and you'll be able to go through all those names. If you are, um, if you bought the Emmanuel wreath, that wreath also goes in the same order. So you're going to be able to use this and the wreath and the names We just wanted to bring the names of Jesus Christ into your homes this Christmas season and and find a way for you to celebrate that. So you light your candle however you want. You've got your name. Print out the living Christ so you can see it. You'll just be able to mark off each name as we go. And and really, just as we saw in that lesson that we just, you know, kind of wrap up the doctrine covenants with, it's so neat to end with the idea of the living Christ. Mm -hmm. It was like... You saw him in, in, in Joseph's day. You saw him in Wilford's day. You saw him in Spencer W. Kimball's day. You know, you saw that like difficulties and questions and intense situations aren't going to go away, but neither is he. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be there as all of those things, as a healer, as a gift, as Messiah, as Jehovah. As a shepherd, yeah, as the today, one who brings hope. Today, yeah. as, much as, as much as any other time in history. So... It's just fun and, and really meaningful to just yeah, it's gonna bring be in so those good. things. And um, you'll start that December 1st and then look forward to the Christmas lesson. We are going to teach you a really fun thing to do with this paper once we get to the Christmas, Christmas lesson. Okay. See y'all. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.